Uh, we're just going to get right into the word this morning. Um, so if you have your Bibles, which hopefully you do, uh, please turn to the book of Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah is in the Old Testament. Uh, if, it is, if you open up just about to the middle, you're in Psalms. Go to the left a little bit, you'll hit um, a book that looks like it's called Job. It's not. It's called Job. Okay, And then you'll be at Nehemiah, one more book over. But have you guys ever uh, had like a really big moment in your life? Think about it for a second. Have you ever had like a really big moment, a moment that would determine so much of the future? The mic is on, right? You guys can hear me? Yeah, raise your hand if you can hear me. All right. Oh, some of you guys in the back, I guess you can't hear me. Or there's something wrong with your arms. Either way. But have you ever had a moment that would determine so much of the future? And maybe you get, you know, uh, some of you guys get a little sweaty in those nervous moments or uh, you get a little nervous. You know, like those moments that you see in the movies, uh, those moments where the main character is called into action, and there's so much weight behind the yes or no answer, or whatever that moment might be. Uh, well, similarly, in the book of Nehemiah, throughout these 13 chapters, I believe chapter 2, in these verses that we're going to look at today, this is Nehemiah's moment. Uh, this is his moment of, of climax and where the story really comes together in this way. And this this moment is going to make or break the entire mission uh, that God had put on Nehemiah, which is the rebuilding of the wall. And how Nehemiah responds to this opportunity um, is going to determine a lot. And this is a door and an opportunity that we're going to see that God opens for Nehemiah. And we're going to see him uh, step through it. And for those of you that were not with us last week as we kind of uh, introed the book of Nehemiah, I'm just curious, how, raise your hand if you've ever read through personally on your own the book of Nehemiah. Raise your hand. All right, not too many of you. It's kind of one of those Old Testament books, right? But guys, there is so much uh, just rich truth and application and good things in this book. It is becoming slowly one of my favorite books uh, within the Old Testament. But it comes at this point uh, on the tail end of the, what you and I know as the captivity uh, of the children of Israel. This moment in time, which uh, spanned it over years, um, it was supposed to only go 70 years, but this time of actually judgment that God brought to the nation of Israel because of their rebellion. And then slowly and slowly, God is now bringing people back to uh, the homeland, uh, what's um, which was absolutely decimated by the enemy of, of Babylon. The, the walls that, that we know of Jerusalem were torn down. The temple was absolutely destroyed and the nation uh, was taken away from their land. And now we're uh, about 160 years after this moment of destruction and Nehemiah is called into action. And we see that Nehemiah, we saw from last week together um, for us junior hires, uh, we saw that Nehemiah had a certain occupation, and it was the king's cupbearer, which was a very important uh, role for Nehemiah. And uh, he begins to hear this news. He's, he's in the king's palace, oh, very far from Jerusalem. Nehemiah had never actually entered into Jerusalem or Israel. He was born within this captivity period. Uh, but now he hears the news that the walls are still torn down. That the people of God who are in Jerusalem, they're just absolutely in desperate need. Because though they might have some sort of the temple back and some sort of way to worship, the walls, the protection of Jerusalem is torn down. And he hears of this, and this, this becomes a burden on Nehemiah. You guys know what a burden is? 
It's kind of like a heavy weight was set on his shoulders. Not actually, uh, but, um, but in, as, as a figure of speech, right? That, uh, that there is this weight on him. And it was the weight that he wanted to do something. I'm sure in Nehemiah, in this moment of hearing the news, he wanted to run to Jerusalem and begin to rebuild. But we're going to see today that God had him wait. And instead of running off to do what this, this desire he had to do, which was to go and be with his people, to rebuild the wall, uh, rather, uh, we see in most of Nehemiah chapter 1, which we won't look at today, is Nehemiah's prayer. Begins to run to prayer, and it's a very... Uh, just amazing chapter. I'd encourage you who did not, were not with us last week to go back. But as we go through this today, we'll be in Nehemiah chapter two, and we're just going to look at eight verses today uh, within this chapter. And as we go through this, I want you uh, to try to notice something. I want you to notice the intensity of the situation. If you read close enough and follow along close enough, you'll see this intensity of uh, this intense situation move from intensity to just about excitement. From verse one all the way to verse eight, we see this move and the progression from intensity to excitement. All right, you guys ready? Well, let's pray. Uh, let's read it first and then let's pray. How about that? Sound good? Okay, you guys, Nehemiah chapter two? Nehemiah chapter two. If you're there, say word. word. Say it like you mean it though. Word. Okay, that was a little better. Look at verse one, Nehemiah chapter two says this, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I, it's Nehemiah speaking, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in, the presence, in his presence before, verse two. Therefore the king said to me, why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its, gain, and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me. And I set him a time. Verse 7. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's force, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. Don't miss it. End of verse 8. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Father in heaven, we, we come before you this morning, and uh, Lord, we come to your word with reverence. We come to your word with, uh, with a humble heart and wanting to just receive from you. Lord, though I stand up here, speak. Lord, we know that as I speak your word, you will be speaking to us, even to me as I speak. It's amazing. Lord, we ask that your presence would be here, that your spirit would work in our hearts. 
and that as we leave this place, uh, we would be all together transformed and changed in your likeness. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. All right, so we see uh, this story, and hopefully you were following along, and you could see that intensity uh, between the king and Nehemiah, and, it, and then it ends with this sort of uh, excitement, and we'll just go through it, kind of how today is going to work, just so you know. Uh, we're going to go through these eight verses, and then at the end, I'm going to give you some things that we're going to draw from that to apply to us, right? Uh, that we're going to go through this, see what the, okay, what is the story? What's actually happening? And then we're going to take away what God would speak to us today. Sound good? All right. So we see in verse one that it says, I came to, pa- it came to pass in the month of N- Nisan. And you're like, what month is that? Um, and it says it's in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. Well, if you parallel this verse with uh, chapter one, verse one, uh, it's giving a timeline. It's giving us a context to everything going on. And when Nehemiah first heard of this news in Nehemiah chapter 1, it says that he immediately goes to prayer. And then we see four months pass. You see, if you look in verse 1 of chapter 1, the month that we have is Chislev. These are Babylonian uh, and and Persian calendars. This is not uh, familiar to you and I. But uh, if you look at verse 1 in chapter 1, the month of Chislev is between mid-November to mid-December, okay? And then we come to our month that we see in chapter 2, verse 1, which is Nisan, which is about mid-March to mid-April. And they're like, okay, what are you you telling me this for? It has been about four months. That's what I want you to note down. You can do it in your note-taking. It has been four months since he heard of the news and he began to pray to God. And now four months pass and we see uh, an opportunity come. I want to remind you guys that Nehemiah is the cupbearer. And we see in verse 1 that uh, his job kind of come to light here. It says that he has wine and he comes and brings it to the king. You see, the job of the cupbearer would be to first take a sip of the wine um, and then make sure it wasn't poisoned, uh, and then he would give it to the king. You see, uh, king uh, was in the, the spotlight. It was, he was in the the, the target, in a sense, for assassination more than any other man uh, in the world at this time. And what Nehemiah had was a very important position. Because if the cupbearer could be turned against the king, if someone could secretly come to Nehemiah and say, hey, we're going we're gonna to plot to kill the king. You see, if he agreed, it would be easy. He'd simply put some poison, pretend to drink it, and then give it to him. You see, the cupbearer had to be someone that was trusted, that the cupbearer of the king, specifically Nehemiah, would have not only been to serve the king, but also he would become over time a trusted advisor because of the amount of time spent. Uh, No doubt Nehemiah would have had an ear to the king and also uh, even opportunities, as we're going to see, to make requests. We see here, though, that it says before verse 1, Nehemiah had never been sad in the presence of the king. We don't know how many years exactly he had served before this time, but every single time that he would come before the king, he'd put on a smile. He'd be all chipper and, uh, and whatnot. And uh, we know that kings back then, uh, they were normally pretty powerful. Uh, this was literally Persia at this time, and King Artaxerxes was basically the king of the world. Uh, they had a an empire that, that ruled over just about everything. And they were usually quite a bit crazy. If you can recall any stories within the Old or even New Testament, 
Uh, these kings were typically a bit crazy and uh, even with a lot of quite strange customs. And uh, maybe what comes to mind is the story of Esther. You guys ever heard of the story of Esther? Remember how Esther couldn't enter uh, the, the king's court unless called upon? Or she could potentially have the, the threat against her life that if the king didn't like her entering the court, he would just kill her on the spot. And we know that there is these customs and these strange customs at that. And they had the power to kill people for whatever reason they wanted to. That they were above the law uh, because they were the law. They were the ones who set the rules. And, and so people treaded lightly around them. And Nehemiah uh, was just the same. That as he was in the, the king's presence, he would always look happy. But this time, Nehemiah couldn't hide it. That as much as I believe he was trying to hide his sadness and his mourning for the sake of fear of his own life being taken if he was in the presence of the king and the king maybe sees his sad face and uh, now is enough to kind of, um, you know, make the king mad. But Nehemiah can't seem to hide it this time. And, and the king asks, if you look at verse 2, the king asks uh, Nehemiah, and he says, why, why are you sad? He says, I know you're not sick. His face looks sad. And you know how there's some people that, that really show everything on their face? You guys know what I'm talking about. My wife is similar uh, in this way where, man, if she's not vibing with you, you're going to know because it's going to be all over her face, right? Maybe you know people like that. Maybe you are that person. There's some other people who uh, maybe they're, they're more like Russians, no offense to Russians, where uh, you guys know what a Russian smile is, right? It's this. This is literally a Russian smile. And, and it's this, the stigma, right, about, about Russians is they don't have a lot of emotion. There's some people who, even if they're feeling sad or happy, you wouldn't know. Well, for Nehemiah, it was apparent on his face that he was down, even four months after hearing uh, this news. And it wasn't because he was sick that the king could tell that this was sorrow of heart. Proverbs 15, verse 13, says, A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance. But by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. You see, the king, he could tell that Nehemiah's spirit was broken. He couldn't hide it. And so we see uh, Nehemiah, it says in verse 2 that he becomes dreadfully afraid. Do you guys see that? Look in your Bibles. I hope you're following along. Verse 2, it says that he's, he's terrified at this point. He's shaking in his boots. And I, and I think I could think of... Two reasons for this. One, he was fearful for his life. Was the king asking this because he was upset with him, that he was sad in his presence and the king didn't want anyone like that? Was this Nehemiah's last day on, on earth? But I think there's also a second reason he could have been so afraid, was that he knew his opportunity was before him. That the moment that he had been praying for, for the last four months, that he was about to step into that, and he had a decision. Was he going to step out in faith and begin to vocalize his concerns with the king? Or was he going to just play it off? Was Nehemiah just going to uh, play it off and act, oh, I, no, no, it's just, uh, you know, I'm kind of not feeling too good and, and play it off. But we see, if you look at verse 3, that Nehemiah sticks with honesty, that he begins to tell the king. He even answers with a question, how could I not be sad? He doesn't play it off. He's not just like, oh, I just had something in my eye. I'm, I'm fine. I just had allergies, right? No, Nehemiah doesn't play it off like that. He gives the reason. He says that the place where he, his family is from, his heritage, that the walls are broken down and 
that the gates lie waste and are burned, and this is heavy on him. This is a burden that he cannot carry, and he begins to share with the king. And then verse 4, we see the king's response to Nehemiah, that luckily for Nehemiah, it wasn't the trap door. It wasn't the king didn't say, okay, straight to the lion's den you go. Uh, but instead, the king responded with an opportunity. He said, what do you request? But notice this in verse 4. There's this moment of pause. Look at verse 4. Look in your Bibles. It says that before he responds to the king's question of what do you request? What do you want? How can I help? It says that the Bible says that he prays. He prays. Now, in your mind, do you think like right there before the king that Nehemiah is uh, having this interaction that he just gets on, down on his knees and he begins to just pray and the king's just like standing there watching him? See, I don't think that's it at all. I don't think, that would be really weird, right? If like, he's like having this dialogue with Nehemiah and then Nehemiah's like, just one second. I was like, God, yes, come here, please. That'd be really weird, right? And I don't think that was it at all. I think it was uh, a quick second prayer. It was a it was a prayer that he threw up and says, God, help me. Uh, I don't, we don't know what the prayer is not given, but it notes here in the scripture that he prays. After he prays, verse 5, he then responds with honesty and boldness. But he does it the right way. If you look at his response that, as we read it a second ago, he responds uh, with some uh, polite manners in a sense. He, he, he's respectful to the king. He's like, you know what, king? You're going to give me this, that, and the other. No. He responds, he says, oh, king, live forever. He's not, he's not dumb. And he goes about beginning to talk to him. And he requests, uh, basically, if you sum up his requests, he says, please, king, send me to Jerusalem. I want to rebuild the city. He just tells him straight up. And we see in verse 6 that the king responds. It specifically notes, which is interesting. Look at verse 6 in your Bibles. It specifically notes that the queen was present. And what does this tell us? Well, the queen would not have been present if this was a public thing. If this was a normal day in the, in the court where there's people coming to meet with the king. No, this was a private setting uh, where it probably would have been just the king, the queen, and Nehemiah. And it's just an interesting little thing that we can kind of help us picture this in our mind, that this was a private meeting. And so the king responds and he says, okay, I got two questions. How long is this whole thing going to take? And when are you going to be back? And I think this tells us something. This tells us that, that the king really did value Nehemiah. He says, okay, how long are you going to be back? Like, we, we need you here, Nehemiah. I need you as my cupbearer. You you're like my go-to. You know, if I'm thirsty, I ask you. Um, and he's like, well, when are you going to be back? And Nehemiah responds with a time frame. And we see from Nehemiah, you can no, just note it down in your margins. Nehemiah 13.6 tells us how long he was gone. Uh, it's about right? 11 chapters later. Uh, but it tells us that Nehemiah was gone for 12 years. Uh, yeah, 12 years. Do we know if that's how long he told the king? We don't, but we know that he was gone for 12 years. Maybe he was pretty accurate. Uh, maybe he was off. Maybe it took longer. And so the amazing thing about this, though, is that the king says, okay, as you wish. And he grants him the request. And then verse 7 and 8, though, uh, Nehemiah once he gets the yes, he doesn't just leave. He's not like, all right, sweet, I'm out. I'm going to Jerusalem. He gets bold. Everyone say bold. You know how you have to say bold, right? You got to say it like the B. You got to say it boldly. There you go. Okay. It's a little, that's all right. We'll, we'll work on it a little more. Boldly. 
And he, he begins to not just ask, hey, can you send me? But hey, king, um, while we're at it, while you're granting me these requests, um, could I get the letters of passage so that as I travel to Jerusalem, if some like crazy, uh, you know, other kind of nation, sub-nation of your nation, uh, like tries to stop me, can I just like give them a letter that you sign and, and lets me go through? Oh yeah, and also like we're going to need some like timber, wood, we're going to need some like materials and supplies to build the wall. So do you think you could give us a letter as well and just sign your name and say, uh, you know, and I'm going to give it to, and he names the guy specifically, Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest. He's like, I know the guy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring him to you and I'll, and I'll show him the letter that you say. And I just want him to give us everything we possibly need. You see, he gets bold in his request. And then verse eight, the very last part says that the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. You see, Nehemiah didn't get prideful, but he knew that God was working in this all along. All right. You guys got a good picture of the story? Yes? You see, the, you see that intensity all the way to the, okay, this is working. This is awesome. And now I want to give you guys and go back through this. And I'm going to give you guys three things I want to note that, that can be uh, specifically applicable to you and I today. Sound good? All right. First one is Nehemiah's faith. I want to go back and look at Nehemiah's faith. And I, and I don't want you to miss this. You know, these are just eight verses and they're easy to kind of go through and be like, okay, that was cool and kind of move on. But there's a lot in here and we're going to go through it. You guys ready? Okay. You guys don't seem that ready. Are you guys ready? All right. Well, I want, as we are in this point one, I want to point out three aspects of Nehemiah's faith. And the first one uh, is Nehemiah's faith. And we see that displayed in his patience. And I want you to write that down just under, it's kind of a sub point of, of point one. Patience. Remember, he waited four months from that time that he originally laid down that prayer. And it says that he was fasting and weeping before God four months of this heavy burden on him. And he began to pray and pour out his heart to God. And you see, sometimes faith, it looks like holding back. Sometimes faith looks like waiting. You see, no doubt in my mind did Nehemiah want to run to Jerusalem and begin building right away. But it says that he waited, that he prayed, that though he wanted to do it, he waited on God. And I want to give you a quote. Alan Redpath says this. You see, when talking about this portion of scripture, that God initiates the open door. The king asked Nehemiah what's wrong and what does he request, not the other way around. Nehemiah was not trying to like figure out, okay, how, how can this work? No, he was just waiting on the Lord and he let God open the door. That the king is the one who initiated. And I think that's good for us to note. And over and over again in the scriptures that from the New Testament to the uh, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we see that God asks you and I in our faith sometimes to wait. You guys ever heard scriptures like that? Wait on the Lord. We see that in Psalms. We see that all over the New Testament. And no doubt this was a very real temptation for Nehemiah on his part to try and do this thing on his own. He could have, he could have too. He could have ran away from the king's palace and ran towards Jerusalem to start rebuilding the walls, but it would have been in his own strength. 
And think about it. If he did do that four months before, if he did, okay, I'm going to go and I'm just going to start building. I, I'm not going to wait on what God's doing. I'm just going to start building. You see, he would not ha- then have had the backing of the king himself. He wouldn't have had the letters of passage and the letters of all of the different materials and um, wood that he would get. You see, God knows what he's doing. And when he asks you to wait, there's a reason. When he asks you and says, I want you to be patient, I am working, even though you can't see it, God says, I am working. And with great intentions, you and I can sometimes jump the gun and miss out on the opportunity and the blessing, what God wants to do when we begin to do things in our own strength. And we see the opportunity. And it's a good thing. It's maybe even a burden or desire that God has put on your heart. God says, wait sometimes. He says, wait says, trust me. And we see Nehemiah's patience. Second aspect of his faith is we see his planning. That Nehemiah was not just patient, but he prepared. See, faith also doesn't mean a lack of planning. It's not what it means. Oh, I'm just going to go out by faith. I'm not going to plan anything. I'm just going to trust the Lord. It's a cover-up. It's a, it's a phrase we put on things when we're lazy because we're not willing to do the hard work. You see, Nehemiah had a well-thought-out plan. It's easy to miss, but go back and look. Nehemiah had a well-thought-out plan. In Proverbs 16.9, you can note it down, says this. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his step. That there's two aspects to following the Lord. You have to be diligent on the planning, though. Sometimes we pray and we say, God, I want you to direct my steps. Show me where to go. But God says, I'm waiting on you to get moving. I'm waiting on you to get planning. You see, I don't think the opportunity would have came if Nehemiah had not planned, if he had not prepared beforehand. What do I mean by this, his planning and preparing? Well, just note down that Nehemiah's prayer in chapter one, it turned into planning and preparation. That not only over that four-month period was Nehemiah praying, But I believe he was planning and preparing. And in the waiting, in the waiting on God, there should always be preparation. That Nehemiah prepared for the moment that he prayed for. And we see this planning. How do I know this? Well, look at at your Bibles. Look at the requests of Nehemiah. He has specific details. He knows the guy's name who owns the forest of the king. He says, he, he says him by name. Look at, look at your Bibles. That he begins to have this planned out. Right when the opportunity arises, Nehemiah says, oh yeah, we're going to need this, this, and that. And this is the plan and this is the preparation. He knows specific details. And I believe that indicates to you and I that he did some research. He said, okay, God, you tell me to wait, but I'm not supposed to be doing nothing. Waiting on God doesn't mean we just go about doing nothing, but it means, okay, uh, I know this burden is from you, this thing that I want to do. God, uh, how, do we, how do we do this, though? In four months, I believe, of careful planning, he began to get this plan down. And when the opportunity arose, Nehemiah was ready. That when the king asked him, what do you want? Nehemiah said, this is what I want. Imagine if Nehemiah had not had planned. He would have been like, well, want to go rebuild a wall. Wall, I want to go, and we're going to go. And he's like, how are you going to do that? Well, we're just going to go. Do you think, do you think the king would have had any faith in Nehemiah at that point? 
I think part of the reason that the king was even so apt to answer the request is Nehemiah had a confidence because of the preparation beforehand. And you see, our God is a planning God. He is. Psalm 33 verse 11 says, The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart, God's heart, to all generations. You see, God has a plan. We know this. We hear it all the time. God has a plan. He does. And he's working it out. Proverbs 21 verse 5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. See, Nehemiah was not hasty. Do you guys know what that means? It means he wasn't, he wasn't quick to make a decision, but that he had four months of planning and prayer. Nehemiah was diligent to plan. There's an old saying, uh, I, I used to play basketball when I was younger and when I was, when I was real young, maybe elementary school, I remember going to this basketball camp and the theme of the camp that they had on the shirts uh, was be quick, but don't hurry. You guys hear me? Be quick, but don't hurry. And the whole concept for basketball was that as you have the ball, you want to be quick. You want to be fast and speedy. But if you begin to hurry, you're just going to throw away the ball. You're going to like shoot it and it's going to be a brick and it's going to be terrible. But I think there's a spiritual thing that we can even draw from that. That we are to be on it. We're to be diligent and, and quick to things and quick to respond when God calls. But we're not to be hasty. We're not to hurry. You see, faith, I want you to write this down. Faith is not a substitute for planning. It's not. Sometimes we try to make it. Right, we, just, we just mask it with faith. Oh, I just trust the Lord, brother. No, <laughs> you're lazy. You see, it takes more faith to plan than to pursue. It does. It takes more faith to sit back and begin to pray and think through, God, what do you, how do we do this? And begin to, to kind of sit back rather than just, okay, we're going we're gonna to go and get them takes more faith to do that. The third aspect of, of his faith that we see is, is his literal prayer. Prayer that no doubt it was short, it was quick, and it was to the point as we talked about earlier. I think it was one of, uh, Warren Wiersbe describes it as an emergency prayer. And this is something good to adopt into our lives. Uh, you can think of it for all you guys on your phones all the time. It's like a text prayer. Okay, it's not a phone call. It's not like you're going to sit down and have a conversation, but it's just a, okay, let me, God, help, all capitals, right? It's that prayer. David Guzik says this, that prayer doesn't have to be long to be effective. It doesn't. It does not have to be long to be effective. And I think it's a good word for us today. Sometimes we think if, we, if we're not spending hours in prayer a day, that our prayers aren't going to get heard. Like God has some sort of like, um, thing in heaven where he says, okay, this person p- prayed for three hours, two hours. Okay, I'll, I'll answer the three-hour prayer first, and then we'll get to the two-hour one later. It doesn't work like that. God is greater than that. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, Jesus tells us, says, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen or non-believer do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Jesus says, just because you pray a long time doesn't mean it's effective. Well, why was his prayer effective here? Why did God answer it in the way that he did? I believe it was because of the four months of prayer prior. It was the four months of constant prayer before that this short prayer 
had a power of four months of prayer backing it. Four months of real for real prayer. So that when he offered that one up and it was quick, it had power. It had power. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16. I want you to note it down. It says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Nehemiah, at this point, was in a time of need, desperate. He says, oh man, this is my opportunity. This is a make or break moment that the king could just kill me right away and say off with his head. Or God, I believe you can show up. But it doesn't mean that there wasn't a lack of fear. Because it says, Nehemiah was afraid. But you see, faith doesn't mean that there's a lack of fear, but it's rather an ability to overcome it. You guys following me this morning? You guys hearing me? If you're sleeping, wake up, okay? Faith doesn't mean there's a lack of fear, but it is the ability to overcome it. Warren Wearsby says this, that true faith in God brings a calmness to the heart that keeps us from rushing about and trying to do it on our own strength, what only God can do. We must not only know how to weep and pray, but also how to wait and pray. I want to exhort you guys this morning. You might be crying over something that's in your life right now and praying to the Lord. Wait. Wait on him, all right? Second thing that I want to look at this morning uh, within the story of Nehemiah is his boldness. Is his boldness. I want you to note it down. The second thing, Nehemiah's boldness, that we see this, <laughs> especially in verse 7 and 8. You see, there's a big difference, though, between confident boldness and arrogant pride. There is. There's a big difference. You see, Nehemiah, what we see here, he was not proud, but he was bold. It wasn't stupid or reckless boldness, but rather a boldness that was birthed from prayer. He knew who had his back. So when he began to ask these, what to you and I would seem like these, these are really big things. He's saying, if anyone stops me, King, I want you to just tell them not to. And I want all of the supplies. He gets bold in his prayer. Proverbs 28.1 says this, the wicked flees when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. See, lions are pretty bold animals, wouldn't you say? And the Bible says that you and I, we forget this. Sometimes we are too timid as Christians. We try to tiptoe around life. God says, I want you to be bold, not proud. Not thinking that you have everything together, but bold, confident. And maybe even Nehemiah, he knew this verse in Proverbs. Proverbs 21.1 says this, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. See, this, this proverb was written uh, before Nehemiah's time. Maybe he knew this. Maybe he knew, God, I'm going to start just asking for things because, God, I know you're really the one in control. I know you're really the one that is doing things here. He was bold, but he was not dumb in what he asked for. See, boldness is not stupidity. Just like, I'm just going to be bold and I don't care what I say. No, he was very wise in his words. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus tells the disciples, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. If you look at, go back and look at what Nehemiah is saying, 
there is a wisdom to what he's asking for and, and even the timing of things. And uh, he's not being deceitful, but he's being cunning in a, in a good way. Jesus says that we are to be like this, harmless as doves, innocent, but wise. But within his boldness, he isn't brash. Do you guys know what brash means? It means harsh and mean. He doesn't get harsh and mean. Colossians 4, 6 says that, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer each one. You see, you and I are to be bold, just like Nehemiah. Then when we talk to other people, there should be a boldness. Tell me you don't see that about Pastor Jack, if you've seen him at all. Pastor Jack's a very bold person. And I think that's because he's very much like Jesus, but he is not brash or mean or harsh. That there is this gentleness about him when you're around him, that his speech is seasoned with salt, meaning it tastes good to some extent, that it's with grace. Proverbs 15:1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You see, I believe even the tone of Nehemiah was soft here. But there's a soft boldness almost to it, where he's, he's, not, he's not getting ahead of himself and he's not proud. Oh, well, king, you listen to me now. No, but there's a, he knows how to answer each, each one. And so we see Nehemiah's faith. We see his boldness. And thirdly, I want to look at Nehemiah's acknowledgement. And this is that last part of verse 8. I'm going to read it again. And I want you to read along with me uh, in your, in your own Bibles. It says, And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. That Nehemiah could sit back and look at what God had done, how the king answered yes. And he could have had the option to be like, wow, I'm amazing. Man, did you see me in there? I killed it. My tone was perfect. My words were perfect. The king walked right into what I had set up the whole time. But I love it here that Nehemiah turns back and acknowledges God was in this thing the whole time. That it was only because of God's good hand upon him. Ezra verse 7 Sorry, chapter 7, verse 6 says something very similar. It's the book right before Nehemiah. And it says, The king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. Verse 28 in the same chapter says, So I was encouraged as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me, and I gathered leading men of Israel to go up with me. You see, this, this wasn't just for Nehemiah. That it wasn't just for Nehemiah that, that maybe God liked Nehemiah than he likes uh, more than he likes you or me. No, God desires to have his good hand upon you. What does that mean? It means that God will give you favor and that his presence is there. And I believe as we walk and we're following him and as we're living rightly and we're pursuing him in prayer and we're doing these things, God's hand is upon us even when we don't recognize it. But Nehemiah has this incredible acknowledgement that God did all this. He gives all the glory to God. He sees that God was working behind the scenes the whole time, and he recognized that this was an answer to prayer, that he could look back to his prayer in Nehemiah chapter 1 and say, God, you answered this. You came through, that by your power and by your, your great hand, you did this. And it reminds me of something. 
a story within the book of Luke in chapter 17. I want you guys to turn there. I want you guys to turn. There's the last place that I want you to look to as we are beginning to land the plane this morning. Luke chapter 17. So go all the way to the New Testament. See, in Luke chapter 17, it's a story of Jesus healing these 10 lepers as he's passing through the city of Samaria. If you don't know, leprosy is an incurable disease. It's known by a different name today, uh, but it's something we, that uh, is an incurable disease. There's no, there's no cure for it. Um, and there's a moment where he, he heals 10 of them, that 10 of them cry out to him and he sees them from a distance. And it says that Jesus, he says, he says, go your way to the priest and, and, and show yourselves to them. It was a, a custom that they would do after being healed uh, from any kind of disease. And it says that as they went, that they were healed, that he healed them. And then something happens though, that they're now these 10 lepers who thought for forever, they would, they were going to be an outcast of society. You see, have you ever heard like, uh, the Pharisees saying, unclean, unclean. These are the people who they would say that to, that it would make them ceremonially unclean if they were around them. And so lepers had their own colony that they had to be away from everyone because it was very contagious. But something happens here, that on their way back to do what Jesus had actually told them to do after being healed from something they probably have had for a long time. It says this, look at Luke chapter 17, verse 15 through 19. It says, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, Jesus's feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not 10 cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Remember, he was a Samaritan. And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. You see, we need to be like this, this 10th leper who when God showed up and God answered that prayer, sometimes we get so just excited, we just go and God's answering our prayers. But you see what the leper did, what I want you to write, write down, he turned back to praise. He turned back back to praise. And there's a song that we're going to sing in a moment uh, once the worship team comes out, and it's a song, Blessed Be Your Name. Maybe you've heard it before, Uh, but there's a moment in the song, and it says that, it says, as we turn back to praise, and I just want you to keep those words in your mind, that we are to do this, we are to acknowledge when God does good things, and Nehemiah acknowledged this. And then as we close, the fourth and final thing that we'll just take a moment to look at, because I don't want to end on how great Nehemiah is. I want to end on how great God was through this whole thing. And so the last thing that we'll look at uh, this morning is God's incredible sovereignty. That when you go back and meditate, that God was doing this the whole time. That God was working even before Nehemiah's prayer. How? Remember I talked about the book of Esther earlier? See, the book of Esther takes place actually, though it in chronological order in your Bible, it is after Nehemiah, it actually takes place before. It takes place in the middle of the book of Ezra. And the book of Esther, hopefully you know it, how she was able, she became the queen of the king over all of Persia. And that King Artaxerxes was actually her stepson. 
the king that we're dealing with, that it's believed, uh, which I would come to the same conclusion, that King Artaxerxes was somehow related, whether by blood, that's uncertain, most likely not, but specifically because she was the queen of the king uh, years before, that King Artaxerxes would have been in some kind of relation with Esther. See, and there's no doubt during that time, a softness that was created towards the Jewish people after this. And, and even before that, you guys know about the story of Daniel? See, the Daniel takes place before Nehemiah uh, during this time of captivity and how he was raised to power at these different times. And no doubt there was this softness that God was doing the whole time. And it's awesome. And we should note that and we should praise God for it how he works in things. And no, this is how he works in our lives too. That he's doing things before you were even born. He's involved in things. He's God. He's amazing. He's working all things, the Bible says, for our good and his purposes. And I love how Nehemiah reminds us of that truth. And so, uh, worship team, you can come out. Before you close your Bibles, I just want to remind you what we looked at today. And what we can learn and take away from Nehemiah, excuse me, what we can learn and take away from him is that, that we are to live by faith, not by sight. That we are to be patient and to be planning and to be praying. And we are to be bold. We're not to be prideful, but we are to be wise and harmless as doves. And we are to always acknowledge what God has done for us, and we are to turn back to praise. And so no doubt each and every one of us, no matter the season that we're in right now, there are things that we can turn back to God and praise him for and thank him for and acknowledge what he has done. Okay, so we're going to pray and we're going to worship. You guys can stand as I pray and uh, worship the Lord and thank him, all right? God, we just come before you and we thank you. God, we, we recognize that your good hand on our lives Lord, even when we can't see, Lord, we're going to trust you. We're going to move forward. Lord, would you help us to be like Nehemiah? Lord, who would be someone that would be a man of prayer and that we'd be men and women who would be in pursuit after you and that we'd be bold. Lord, not harsh, but bold. Lord, because of the God that we know, because we know you, Jesus. And so, Lord, as we just close this morning before we get on to our, the rest of our day. Lord, we want to turn back to praise. We want to bless your name. We want to give you thanks and we want to give you praise and we want to give you our devotion and all of who we are. God, we, we worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.